بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على سيد المرسلين وعلى آله وصحبه وبارك وسلم تسليما كثيرا إلى يوم الدين أما بعد قال الله تبارك وتعالى في القرآن المجيد والفرقان الحميد إن الله اصطفى آدم ونوح وآل إبراهيم وآل عمران على العالمين ذرية بعضها من بعض والله سميع عليم إذ قالت امرأة عمران ربي إني نظرت لك ما في بطني محررا فتقبل مني إنك أنت السميع عليم فلما وضعتها قالت ربي إني وضعتها أنثى والله أعلم بما وضعت وليس الذكر كالأنثى وإني سميتها مرئم وإني أعيدها بك وذريتها من الشيطان الرجيم فتقبلها ربها بقبول حسن وأنبتها نباتا حسنا وكفلها زكريا كلما دخل عليها زكريا المحراب وجد عندها رزقا قال يا مرئم أن لك هذا قالت ومن عند الله إن الله يرزق من يشاء بغير حساب صدق الله العظيم As your promotional um, flyers and so on tell you that this is supposed to be a discussion between um, discussing the two individuals of uh, history which uh, the majority of the world's population today uh, follow in some way or the other. And that's Jesus, uh, peace be upon him, and about 600 years after him, the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him. And strange. Christianity and the adherence to Islam, right? uh, you've got over a billion Muslims and you've got a similar or greater number of Christians from the world's population. So if you were to isolate two individuals the world over, they would be Muhammad, peace be upon him, and Isa, Jesus, peace be upon him. People like Buddha, Krishna, and so on and so forth, they would come way after, in terms of uh, followers. The other thing is that for us to interact and live in this world in a way that's social, following certain rules that could be applied universally, accepted universally, most of that is normally our ethical system in the world is primarily understood and learned through religion, whatever religion that is. Uh, primarily the revealed religions, Judaism, Christianity and Islam. Now what we have is, we've got remnants of these religions today. If you search for Christianity, you will find aspects of Christianity. You'll find probably many different persuasions of Christianity. You know, all the way from Unitarians, Presbyterians, Catholics, 
uh, Mormons or uh, Church of Latter-day Saints, which many Christians would say they're not Christian. So you've got a lot of diversity within Christendom as such. If you look within Islam, if you look within Judaism, you've got the Reformed, you've got the Orthodox, you've got the Ultra-Orthodox, and that's just the few that we know about. And there's probably many more as well. And within Islam, there's you'll get the Shiites and you'll get the Sunnis. However, having said that, if we're to argue that if you want to follow a role model, if humans need to follow a role model that is supposed to be comprehensive, that role model needs to be comprehensive. I mean, people like uh, famous football players, basketball players, they are role models for many people. Uh, there are others like uh, singers who are supposedly role models for certain people. But they seem to be just role models about fashion, about trend. A role model to live your life needs to be somebody that's comprehensive all over. The best role models that you could actually have are probably the prophets. And that's why the world over, statistically speaking, there are people who adhere, who have some love for Jesus, peace be upon him, who have love for Muhammad, peace be upon him. Right? Because they seem to give them that role model, that exemplar, that personality. Because any personality that you'd like to follow, they can't be just good at dancing. Right? They can't just be bad at dressing. Right? They can't just be good at kicking a ball around. Right? And into a box. I mean, they can't be just that. Life is more than that, isn't it? Life is about a lot of things. Interaction with others. You know, what you eat, what you don't eat. How you interact with animals around you. How you interact with humans around you. How you interact with your young and your old. And what you do and how you're supposed to understand things. And so on and so forth. Normally it's religions that provide that. And among that it's the prophets. Who Muslims believe are specially sent down by God. They're human beings, they're specially selected and they are made infallible and they are directly guided by God to perform certain things and guide the people as such. Now if you look among all of the exemplars that people follow, you can't just take an exemplar that somebody tells you because that this role model is not among you right now. If you look at Prophet Jesus, Prophet Muhammad it's not, they're not with us right now. If somebody comes and tells me, this is how Jesus was, or this is how Muhammad was, do I have to believe him? You know, from an academic perspective, you need evidence, you need proof. There needs to be what you call historicity. There needs to be an aspect of historical authenticity that you need to look into. Now, if you look at Moses, peace be upon him, who Jews revere as their prophet, how much do we know about Moses? Yes, there's lots of accounts in the Old Testament, Maybe in the New Testament? How would that stand to historical criticism? How would that stand if you were to look at the authenticity from a historical point of view? How would Jesus' life that we know of him right now from the New Testament, from the Gospels, how much would that stand to scrutiny if you were to look at the historicity of it? Likewise, Muhammad and what we know of him, how much would that sound as? So, firstly, you, you have to be able to establish something that, yes, this person was definitely a historical figure, which I think is quite undeniable. 
But then what's reported about them, what's related and transmitted to us about them, how much of that is accurate and how much is not accurate? Because it's, it's history we're speaking about. Number two, the role model that you want that anybody can follow and should follow needs to be as comprehensive as possible. Right? So for example, you have Moses, peace be upon him, you have Jesus, you have Muhammad, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Right? As Muslims, we have to revere all prophets. There's a hadith which is related in a, uh, in a collection called Mus uh, Muslim of Ahmed ibn Hanbal. Right? It's one of the famous hadith collections. Hadith is a tradition from the Prophet Muhammad. He was asked how many prophets came into this world. He said, this hadith is weak, but it gives us an idea. 124,000 prophets and 313 or 315 messengers. A messenger is different than a prophet in Islam. A messenger is somebody who brings a new way, a new sacred law. Moses was a prophet. Jesus was a, I'm sorry, Jesus and Moses, peace be upon them both, were messengers as well as just prophets. See, Moses had Aaron with him, Harun alayhi salam. He was a Nabi, a prophet only. He was not a messenger. Whereas Muhammad, whereas Musa, Moses, was a messenger as well. Likewise, in the time of Jesus, peace be upon him, he was a messenger, while John the Baptist, Yahya was a Nabi and not a messenger. Likewise, Zakaria, Zachariah was a prophet, not a messenger. He didn't bring a new system. They were just continuing with the previous system of Moses, peace be upon him. Having said that, if you were to study the lives of these individuals, right, we're not denigrating any of these because it would, it would actually be unlawful and blasphemy within Islam for any of us as Muslims to denigrate the life of Jesus, the life of Moses, despite the fact that we do not consider them our prophets the way the Jews and Christians do. Right? Yet still we consider them prophets of God. Right? I'll go into what our actual belief about Jesus is later on. But what the point I'm trying to make here is that if you want to follow someone, that person needs to be comprehensive. The thing about Jesus, peace be upon him, is that he lived in this world. What we know about him is about his miraculous birth. In fact, we know a bit more than that. The Quran begins with the Quran, which is a Muslim holy book. It speaks quite frequently about Jesus. In fact, it speaks about Jesus' mom, Mary. Right? May Allah be pleased with her. In fact, there's an entire chapter called the chapter of Mary, which speaks about the whole experience she had when she begot Jesus, peace be upon him. It doesn't just speak about Mary, it actually speaks about her mother, whose name was Hannah, Hannah, the grandmother of Jesus. And it's very interesting what uh, the Quran tells us about that. It tells us that Hannah, who was in Jerusalem, wanted to have a child that she could she could leave to the temple in the service of God. She wanted a son because it was normally boys that were given to the temple uh, to, to remain in service for the temple. So she was really anticipating this birth. When she gave birth, as Allah says in the Quran, she was surprised. In fact, she was quite upset. She says, oh Allah, I have given birth to a girl. I wanted a boy so I could dedicate him to the, 
to the temple. I've been given a girl. Girls were not traditionally dedicated like that to, uh, to the temple. But look at what God says. He says, That the boy that you wanted and this girl that you have, there is no boy as great as that girl. This is a special girl. The boys that you had in mind would not be as, be as great as this girl that we've given you. This is a very special girl. Right? So she gave birth to Mary. So although she was quite upset, she was reassured. She gave him to the temple. Now Zechariah, the Prophet Zechariah, peace be upon him, Zechariah was told to look after her. She had a special chamber. And it says in the Quran that he would go to see to look after her to see if everything was fine. And when he would Whenever he would go there, he'd find that she's got all these fruits. Now, not many others had access to this place. Only he did. He'd go there and he'd find that there's uh, fruits out of season. It's fruits out of season, right? Now, um, he asked, where do you get these from? Because he's as surprised as anybody else. She said, this is from God. Now he was a prophet, so he recognized miracles when he saw them. Eventually what happened is that she goes up and on one occasion this man suddenly appears in front of her. It was an angel. As the Quran tells I'm telling you exactly what the Quran tells you. <coughs> See, regarding the story of Jesus, peace be upon him, within the Islamic traditional sources, there are a number of weak narrations that come from the Israelite narrations that tell you a lot of other juicy story, you know, juicy details. But I'm trying to stick to what the Quran says itself, and it's quite detailed, I mean, uh, it's quite detailed for this story. So what happens is, eventually, as she grows up, she suddenly sees this man manifest in front of her. It's an angel, we're told, who comes in the form of a human being, and says to her that I've come to give you glad tidings of a child. She's obviously surprised she's never been with a man. She understands that much that for procreation you need a man, and she's never had a man. So, Yubashiruk, Yubashiruki, Give her glad tidings of a child. Now, there was a, another individual whose name was, and this is where the Joseph the carpenter comes in. <coughs> Yusuf al-Najjar, as they call him. You know, the, she, he's made out to be the husband of Mary and so on. right? In Islam, what we're told through Ibn Kathir, this is not in the Quran, but what Ibn Kathir, the great exegete of the Quran, he says that there was a carpenter whose name was Yusuf. Right? He was a really kindly fellow. He saw that she had become pregnant because uh, this, this birth, from the time that she conceived, when the spirit of Jesus, peace be upon him, was blown into her, it actually took nine months. It was a full-time pregnancy. So he saw the change. This is from the tafasir. This is not from the Quran itself, right? And he said to her, he didn't want to be rude, and he wanted to broach the subject because anybody would question that, wouldn't they? So he said, can you tell me if... You know, his question basically was that how can a person have a child without, you know, that it was that kind of a discussion. She responded to him that look at Adam and Hawa, peace be upon them, they were not created from any human being, right? That was her response and immediately Yusuf, he was a religious man, he believed in miracles as well, he understood, took a step back and said, okay, this is going to be a special child. But when this question was asked to her, she got thinking. Right? She got thinking that if he has a question about this, there's others who are going to question it as well. 
and they're not going to be so easily uh, explained away as, as with him. They're not going to be so easily convinced. So she decided that she needed to leave that place. So she left Jerusalem. Six or seven miles from Jerusalem is a place called Beit al-Laham, uh, today called Bethlehem. And so she escaped towards that area. She, she disappeared. I mean, she wasn't under lock and key because uh, you, you wouldn't be expecting her to run away. So she, she left because just to protect herself from the questions of people. So in this state of helplessness, she ran, she went, and she went to the edge of a stream or something. And now this part is in the Quran that she left. And when she got there, she's obviously very perturbed and so on. But God tells her, Allah tells her, not to worry, and tells her to shake the palm, and it will drop on her some fruit, and she can eat of that, and so on. Now, I visited Bethlehem uh, about three years ago, right, from Jerusalem. And the place where Jesus is said to have been born, peace be upon him, it's very interesting. It's, you, you go into the church, there's about three or four churches there, all kind of, and they had a big fight this time as well, uh, just... Uh, uh, they, they had a big fight a few months ago. Because what happens is that it's literally four churches converging on each other, right? All kind of vying for space. I don't know if anybody's been there, they've seen this, right? Um, there's four different denominations that are all kind of vying for this place. So you kind of go in, and the tour guide was Muslim, Palestinian, because that's a Palestinian town, right? This is in the West Bank. So he, he said, you know, I'll, I'll tour you, I'll give you a tour. So he gave us a tour. Now the thing is that it says, uh, it, it takes, there, there's a cave that you go down, you go down into like a basement, which is a, supposedly a cave and they show you this place, they made a little manger and so on, and they show you that this is where Jesus was born. So he gave us the, his normal spiel, he gave us his normal talk, you know, uh, talk, and then he took us back upstairs and then kind of looked around and said, you know, tell the truth, I'm telling you guys, I don't think it was here. This is where they make it up to be, but I don't think it was here. The reason is, and what supports what he said is that the Quran says that she was on the edge of a stream or something. He reckons that it was a, a short distance from the in that within that locality. <coughs> but having said that, I mean, she was alone when this happened, so it's very difficult for somebody to actually go and find out. So there could be, you know, difference of opinion about that anyway. Uh, having said that, she gave birth, and now she's coming back. She's got nowhere to go, so she's coming back, and with this baby, with baby Jesus in her hand, peace be upon him. And the people confront her. Oh, sister of Imran. You know, where do you get this from? Yeah, the Haruna. Yeah, sorry, your, your sister of uh, Harun. Where did you get this from? You're, you know, you're, you're from a good family. Your mom was not a bad woman. I mean, what have you done? I mean, that's the initial reaction anybody has. <coughs> that's why in Islam, if you get married, the Prophet said, beat drums on it. Right? That's an occasion you can beat drums. Because you want everybody to know we're married. We're not just hanging out. We're not shacking up together. Right? You know, we're married, we're legit. So, I mean, Muslims take family life and marriage very, you know, it's very significant in Islam. So, she didn't know what to say. Allah, the Quran says that Allah had told her that you will say that I am fasting. And fasting at that time seemed to have involved remaining silent. And we'll take care of the rest. So, when they confronted her, she said, I'm fasting for the most merciful one. And suddenly, this baby, this infant, maybe a few days old or however old he is, 
this is in the Quran, it says that he started speaking. Inni Abdullah Atani al Kitab wal Hikmah Wajalani Mubarak al Ma Kuntu. Right? Um, what she did was she said I'm fasting and she indicated towards him they said how are we going to speak to him like what are you you know what are you trying to say right <coughs> then he said I am the servant of Allah right that was a miraculous speaking by this infant. Now when they saw that, these people were of faith. When they saw a miracle, that was sufficient to prove for them that yes, this was a miracle. Now you can see from this, right, that the status that we hold Mary and the status that we hold Jesus, the Quran tells us to, is very high. Now what you have is, after this, you don't have much information. You look at the Bible, uh, speak much about animosity towards him. Right? You learn that from other sources. But then the Quran speaks about a disappearance of him. Right? But it dispels one very important thing. And this is where I think there's a big difference. Because until now, all of this what we spoke about, the miraculous birth, uh, we spoke about uh, when he's preaching, these miracles, many of the Christians and the Muslims would agree on this. There may be some differences as to who Joseph was exactly. Right? The Muslims would say that he was not a husband because Mary did not have a husband. Peace be upon her. And they would say that, you know, some, some denominations would say that that was a husband. Right? They would, uh, they would say that, uh, some, some would say that she, she had a miraculous birth. Others would say that it wasn't a miraculous birth, it was Jesus, uh, Joseph was the father. And so on and so on. So there's differences of opinion there. But here when it comes to where he's got opposition now. Right? He has opposition now. Apparently, Jerusalem for many centuries was under the Roman Empire. They, had, they would normally have one of the Israelites, uh, one of the Bani Israel, the Israelites, as the local governor there. But it was under the Romans. Right? And that's why where there was a problem in 60, 61 AD, or 61 CE, after Jesus, when Titus... And, he, and Vespasian, uh, they were the Roman uh, Vespasian was the Roman emperor, and Titus, his son, they came and destroyed Jerusalem because there was what they considered some anarchy uh, against them. But Jerusalem traditionally was under the Romans at that time. So whatever the story was, uh, there were many Israelites who disagreed with Jesus. They were waiting for a Messiah, but they did not recognize him as Jesus. So many would say that they are the ones that... Uh, plotted against him. What? They got the Romans involved, and the Romans, and then you have the Pontius Pilate. And, you know, the, I don't want to go into detail because that's not what I'm. I'm just trying to explain the highlights of this story from a Muslim uh, perspective. Then what happens is there's a crucifixion that takes place, right? So there is a crucifixion that takes place. Somebody definitely died on the cross, right? Somebody was crucified. The question is, who was that? So, the Muslims have a very firm belief about one thing. Though we don't know the exact details of how it happened, we have one firm belief. What Allah says is, وَمَا قَتَلُوهُ وَمَا صَلَبُوهُ 
ولكن شبه له وإن الذين اختلفوا فيه لفي شك منه ما لهم به من علم إلا اتباع الظن وما قتلوه يقينا The Quran is hardly ever repeats itself in trying to establish a point The Quran is very specific, very succinct in its message Here though in this sentence, in this verse it says they did not kill him neither did they crucify him so it's saying, in general, it was not killed by them. Neither was he crucified, as has been said. But the matter was made an ambiguous one for them. Should be hello. The matter became confusing. Somebody definitely died on the cross. They thought it was Jesus, or people thought it was Jesus. Right? So the matter was made a confusing one for them. Those who have differed about it are themselves in doubt. They don't know for certain. They don't have any sound, certain knowledge as to exactly what happened. Except just following their dominant opinions. Just their opinions that they're following. It's not definite knowledge that they have. And then it finishes off by saying, They definitely they certainly, with all conviction, did not kill him. But Rafa'ahullahu ilayhi. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala raised him up to himself. Allah raised him up, elevated him up, caused him to ascend up. That's what the Quran tells us. It doesn't tell us how that happened, on what occasion it happened, who was on the cross. It doesn't tell us any of that. Right? Now, if you look at uh, the Christian sources, or the, uh, the different Gospels, you have quite a bit of difference of opinion there. The Orthodox uh, Christian Church, they actually make it a cardinal point of their doctrine that his life was, Jesus' life was taken on the cross. Right? That's a cardinal point of the Orthodox Church. That he died on there and then he was buried. And then on the third day he rose up. That's a, quite a traditional understanding among many Christians. Right? He walked about after that, after he was supposedly at the buried and so on. He walked about and uh, he conversed with people. He ate with his disciples and then, then he was taken up to the heavens. So this opinion seems to eventually take him up to the heavens. But first he died on the cross and then he was buried. Then you've got the Basildans. I don't know if they have any followers anymore. But the Basildans, they actually believe that somebody else was substituted. It was not Jesus that died on the cross. And then you have... Another group, the, the, the Maronite Gospel, denies that Jesus was... They, that that he, was, he was crucified, they, they also believe in the substitution. So what do Muslims believe? The only thing we can insist on and be certain about is what the Quran tells us which is that he was definitely not killed and neither was he crucified, he was raised up. However, if you look at the famous exegetes like Ibn Kathir and Qurtubi and others, they have revealed, related from uh, certain transmissions which are not necessarily very strong. They give us an idea. So we can't insist on them, but they give us an idea of what happened. And some of those ideas actually uh, conform to 
those of the Christians that do not agree with him being on the cross, that, that propose uh, or actually believe that he, there was substitution. So what they relate is two possibilities. One is that Jesus, peace be upon him, was in a house with his disciples. Right? And they were obviously in hiding because now they were being sought out. Jesus wasn't, peace be upon him, wasn't able to comfortably go around preaching as he was before because animosity, opposition to him had grown greatly. However, his opponents, right, his enemies were informed that he's in this house. So there's two opinions now. One is that they sent a man in, right, to look for him. Right, they sent a man in to look for him. He came inside. Jesus was raised up to the heavens by the, uh, heavens by the angels, miraculously. And this man that came in from them, from the opposition, the enemies, when he went back out without finding Jesus, his face, his features, and outward appearance was made to be like that of Jesus. And they grabbed him. And he is saying, what's wrong? I went in to check, he's not in there. No, 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 we know you, I mean, we caught you now. Obviously, every criminal will deny that act. So they grabbed him and they crucified him. Right? That's one opinion. But it seems to be the weaker of the two possible opinions given in the Muslim sources. The other possibility is that Jesus, peace be upon him, was told by God, told by Allah, that this was going to happen. They were going to come in, they'd been found. He asked for a volunteer from among his disciples. He said, which one of you will be prepared to put my garment on, my clothing on? His face will be made to be to look like mine, and they'll have to face whatever they have to face outside, but you will be with me in paradise. One of them put himself forward. He donned the outer garments of Jesus, peace be upon him. Jesus was raised up to the heavens, because we know that from the Quran, that he was raised up to the heavens. And then this person went out, and he was the one crucified. The point is here that somebody was crucified because that was something witnessed by everybody. Not everybody, but there were hundreds of witnesses to the crucifixion. So that cannot be denied. So the confusion comes in the fact that there's somebody being crucified there. He looks like Jesus. Peace be upon him. So why shouldn't it be Jesus? Right? Why shouldn't it be Jesus? So I don't, you know, it's kind of difficult for somebody not to believe that. Unless you were with Jesus, because then you'd know the real story. So, many of the later followers of Jesus, when the followers of Christianity that developed was a later development through Paul. And the majority, apparently the majority of the followers were not Israelites. The Israelites rejected Jesus. The majority of the followers were from other tribes, were from other people. They took Christianity on as such, right? We don't want to, you know, continue discussion about it's not a discussion about Christianity, it's about Jesus, peace be upon him, right? So that is what the Quranic view of Jesus is. Now, having gone back, Jesus was never married. He was thirty or thirty-three years old. He was about three years during this time that this happened. In fact, some scholars of the Bible, if you were, what they've said is that if you take the New Testament. And you to cut out 
or to record all of the days or all the activities that Jesus did that are recorded in them, whether, whether they are uh, accurate, inaccurate, authentic, unauthenticated from a historical perspective, whatever it is, you cannot get more than 50 days of his life. You can get only 50 days, you can, you can only learn about 50 days of his life when he's an adult. You know, aside from the story of when he was... Now the question here is that if you're looking for a role model, going back to our initial preliminaries that I was speaking about in the, uh, at the beginning, if you want a role model, can Jesus, peace be upon him, provide you that role model as a com comprehensive exemplar? This is not to diminish his status. We're just saying that he was supposed to be a role model for a time, but now, in terms of what we know about him, even if we were to say it's all accurate, there are discrepancies in the Bible, right? Which, you know, we're, we're not here to do that, but there are discrepancies, and that's why there's different versions of the Bible. But the question is that even if it was all accurate, and you had compiled it all together, he, you can only get 50 years of his life. A person who lived for 50, a person about whom you only know 50 days, sorry, 50 days of his life, how can he be a role model for you in your, in your life when you're going to be married, you're going to have children maybe, you're going to deal with many different things, right? The life that we know of Jesus is about mercy, right? We know we can learn things, right? we can benefit from him, but can he be the ultimate exemplar for us? Likewise with Moses, peace be upon him, we know many things about him. But historically, there are only very few things that are authenticated, right? It's quite simple for you to take up some mythology <coughs> and go and follow that, but you're not following anything accurate. <coughs> when it comes to Muhammad, <coughs> there's a big difference. Some years after the Prophet, peace be upon him, passed away, it was discovered that people had started to attribute statements to him. You had a tradition in the time of Muhammad, peace be upon him, that whatever he said, whatever he approved of or disapproved of, it was all recorded. Right? There was this tradition that we're going to record everything. It was just this natural uh, people just decided to do that, the companions around him. Some years after the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, it was discovered that people are making up things, they're fabricating, they are concocting different ideas, they're saying that uh, the Prophet said so-and-so, right? They're just making up things. Now, the others who are close to him, they immediately figured out that this doesn't sound right, he could not have said that. Slowly, slowly, a whole science developed, which we call Jabh Ta'deeb, right? Where anybody who claims that they are relating something from the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, they're going to be scrutinized, right? They're going to be scrutinized who they are, have they had any lapses in memory, who they're relating it from, did they see the Prophet, I mean, those who saw the Prophet themselves, they're considered to be all authoritative. But anybody after them, who did you hear it from? Did he really even meet him or not? And so on and so forth. Uh, has he ever lied? Has he ever done an act that would kind of bring him down in the sight of people? Is he upright? Is he reliable? Right? So there's such a tight scrutiny. And then there's obviously, it became such a science that now within uh, the hadith corpus, the hadith means anything related from the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, within the hadith corpus that the Muslims have, 
you've got those narrations or transmissions that you could say are authentic because they've been put through some rigorous tests. Then you've got others that are sound. They've got possibilities of both sides, but they're not as strong as these. And then you've got the weak ones. And then you've got those that are known fabrications. Because the person who said them was known to have fabricated. You know, because maybe he was saying, the Prophet said about the people of Yemen that they're like this and so on. The Prophet did say something about Yemen, but he didn't say everything that's related about Yemen. People just made up things about their tribes that Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, once I heard that he said this and I related this from Umar. All the close students of Umar, the companion, they would tell you, you know what, we've been with Umar all our life. He's never said anything like that. This guy is known to make up things. So, it's a very, so from a historical point of view, if you look at the Islamic transmission with an objective mind, you will find that it is more historically sound from a point of historicity, historical authenticity, than any other religion out there, meaning any other old religion like that. Right? Then, number two, that's from a historical authenticity point of view. Number two, comprehensiveness. Right? That's somewhere, if we compare Muhammad and Jesus, and again, this is not to diminish any of them, because that would be blasphemy on our part. It's just to show objectively that if you want to follow somebody of a comprehensive uh, role model, then who would you be more likely to follow or should follow? Because if you look at the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, he got married. He had children. It's reported through these hadith transmissions, these traditions, how he acted with his children, grandchildren. He married, he divorced, right? He went into battle, he was an imam of a mosque, he was a counselor, he was a teacher, he was a, a, a spiritual guide, he was a, if, you, if, you're a, if you're a son, to, if you're, a, if you're a, um, a father today, you can look at him for, for an example. If you're a wife, you can look at his wives, he didn't just have one, he had nine wives, all right? I don't want to go into polygamy right now, but just a matter of fact, right? If you want to see how somebody acts with their wives, he's got nine of them for you to deal with. And they reported things. The thing is, they never kept anything hidden. They reported as much as we used to bathe together. Right? We used to, one of the wives, Aisha says to the prophet, uh, about the problem, we used to bathe together. Right? To show that that's a husband-wife thing. The whole point of the prophet and his interaction with his wives and the companions around him was to set the tone for society afterwards. Was to give guidance for the people after. It had to be a practical guidance. You can't just take the Quran and say, I'm going to interpret it the way I want. There was a living tradition that was created by God, that's our Muslim belief, that tells you how the Quran is lived. Right? And that's the most important thing. So if you're a if you're, you know, if you are in the British Army as a commander, you've got an example in the Prophet Muhammad to see how he commanded an army. When you guys go in, he said, you will not put down trees. You will not kill the old women and the old men that have, you know, kind of retired from things and they're not part of the aggression. You can't just indiscriminately go in and, you know, take down the uh, take down the forests, for example, right? They, these were guidances that were given. Now I understand that not everybody today that claims to be Muslims. Follow that. I understand that. I know this is a question that's probably in your mind when we see people killing, killing innocent people. Unfortunately, that's just a human failing that you find throughout the world, universally. 
that people take on certain ideas or they get to extremes in certain ideas or they're lax in certain ideas and they do certain things, right? But regardless of who you are, if you're a businessman, you can look at Muhammad, peace be upon him, because he did business, right? He went to Sharam, right? He went towards Sharam. He went with his uncle. He did business. That's how he, uh, his first wife was the one who was actually his, the investor, right? His wife, Khadija radiallahu anha, she invested her money and sent him with her goods to trade him, got a lot of profit. Then she married him afterwards. So if you're a, if you're a, uh, you know, whatever you are, whether you're a businessman, whether you're a shepherd, he, he was a shepherd earlier on. He was, he played so many different roles within his short life. He died at the age of 63, right? That for us, whatever you are, whoever you are, you can look into Islam, into the sources and get some authentic guidance, right? That is historically provable, okay? Now, I know I'm making these claims. I am from a Muslim background. I'm making these claims. But you can go check this out if you wanted to, right? You know, we, this is just highlighting the points. This is just an informative lecture. You know, we're not trying to prescribe anything to you. But the main thing is that if you look at it from a historical point of view, that's the case. Now, Jesus, there's a fundamental belief within Islam that Jesus will come back. Right? Within Muslims, we believe that Jesus, peace be upon him, will come back. He will not come back as a prophet, though. He'll come back as an individual because he has not died a mortal death. According to Muslims, Jesus has not died a mortal death. According to some narrations which are not that strong, he's on the second heaven. And when he comes back, he will come back. It says he will come back in Damascus. May God bring some peace to that area. Because those guys are just crazy, what they're doing. Uh, I've studied in Damascus, and there's always been a lockdown in terms of thought. You talk to somebody about politics, this doesn't, uh, this doesn't, uh, this doesn't apply to us. You know, this doesn't involve us. They get out. They don't want to talk because you could be a, you could be a spy. Because one of every three people is a spy. Apparently, you can't trust your brother. That's how bad it is. I mean, can you imagine living like that? Can you imagine living like that? SubhanAllah, that, that's that the worst person living in prison. You should have some freedom, you know? Uh, at least your mind is free. God knows best. Uh, God give us well-being in every sense. So it says, it states that he will come down, and this is through the hadith. This is not in the Quran. It says in the hadith that he will come on the eastern minaret of the great mosque of Damascus. What's interesting is that when the Prophet made this statement, and it's recorded from his time, no mosque existed in Damascus. It was the Umayyad, Walid ibn Abdul Malik, that constructed that mosque. 50, uh, sorry, how many years? Yeah, about 50 or so years afterwards. He said the white eastern minaret in Damascus. Now, if you go to Damascus today, Damascus is not a very big city. The mosque is very large, right in the middle. The eastern minaret is closed, you can't go up there. Behind the eastern minaret is the Christian area of Damascus. Right? And the Muslim sources say that he will come down supported by two angels to the minaret. He'll have some kind of yellowish orange clothing. His face, his hair will be dripping uh, as though he's just taken a bath. And he will come down and people will know that he's coming. And there are Christians today that believe that Jesus is coming as well. right? The Muslim belief is that he is coming, so the Christians, the Jews, and the, uh, and the Muslims sort of gathered there. 
That's a long story. It's a long story. We don't have the time for that because I do want to give you some time for questions because uh, I'm sure some of you are coming here with questions in your mind. So I'd like to take those. So let me just wrap it up. The main thing is that I've highlighted to you the major themes of the Prophet Jesus, peace be upon him, as established by the Quran for us. Right? And the point of historicity, the point of comprehensiveness. If you're an individual that's comprehensive, that can provide guidance. The problem today is that anybody who wants to look for Islam, if they start searching, they're going to have big trouble. There are big firewalls in place. What I mean by firewalls is there's a lot of propaganda out there. I remember once in, in America, in Santa Barbara, I gave a talk at the college, and there's a guy sitting at the back with a laptop, and he says, can you, what about these 70 virgins that you guys are of this in some, some hadiths? It's not in the Quran. You, if somebody who's looking for Islam, unfortunately, when you start typing it, you, you're going to have to troll through so much junk before you actually get to it. I was, when I was the Imam in Santa Barbara in America, small community, right? My wife was in Jumu'ah that day, in the Jumu'ah prayer, the Friday prayer. And she tells me afterwards that there is a woman there, an older woman. She's come from some backwater town in Tennessee, right? Tennessee Southern State. She's never met a Muslim before. Today has been her first time that she's been in a Muslim gathering has met other Muslims. But she's been Muslim for this many years. It's like, wow, what happened? So she discovered Islam, right? She discovered Islam, but she's in this backward town. She couldn't go to like Nashville, uh, Tennessee, you know, these big cities in Tennessee or whatever. And she had to come for a funeral or something like that to Santa Barbara. And then she discovered there's a mosque there. She came for the Jumu'ah prayer. It's like the first time that she's met Muslims. But she got it, you know, she did her studies and she, she discovered it. The truth is out there. After 9-11, the New York Times reported that the conversion to Islam had tripled in America. Had tripled. And this was the New York Times, something that I read myself. Right? Having said that, I think I'll stop here. Right?